I couldn't help but uh, see the Sea of Galilee. We were on the Sea of Galilee uh, Friday before we left and uh, thinking of the Lord, His presence there and walk on the water and the many things, that miracles that He did. It was a wonderful time. I want to thank you so much for your prayers. Uh, we're very grateful that you uh, were praying for us. Just a report, uh, Pat Hager, she outdid us all. She uh, never grew, seemed to grow tired. She was there taking notes and making everything. And uh, just attribute that to your prayers and uh, the wonderful uh, time that we have there. Um, so uh, thank you. We uh, had quite the travel home the last day. And uh, so, again, we feel like your prayers are the things sustaining us at this point. So without further ado, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you because all good things come from your hand. Lord, your great mercies have been expressed to us through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, we, some of us had the privilege uh, this past two weeks to, to walk in the land of the Bible and to reflect on uh, those events and things, miraculous things that you did and have done. Uh, we give you praise for you are Almighty God. We thank you uh, for every expression of your loving kindness. Uh, you, Lord God, are worthy of our praise and we want to honor you this morning as we worship and look into your word. And we acknowledge, Lord, that our flesh is often uh, tired and weak and uh, the spirit is willing, but often the flesh is so weak so we acknowledge that your Holy Spirit must quicken us and quicken these mortal bodies that we may lay hold of those truths and principles that are necessary for us and that might be needful, that we might order our steps in accordance with your word, your will for our lives, that we would honor you as your people and honor the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is that his name that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to your glory. Father, we pray for the children that go for Children's Church. Uh, Lord, we're so blessed that we can be here freely to come and worship for you. We, we pray for our elections that are coming up and the gravity of some things that uh, will be decided this next year. Uh, we pray, God, for your uh, mercies for our nation and ask that you would grant to us repentance that as a nation that we would turn our hearts to you, our Lord and God, and that the power of the gospel, uh, for we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is your power unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from heaven, from faith to faith, as is written, the just shall live by faith. And so we thank you, God, for the, the power of the gospel. And we pray that we might cleave to your word this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I can't tell you how, um, how good it is to be home, to be back with you, and to be able to worship. We know that, that we had uh, good people that uh, were filling the pulpit and that you were well fed these last two weeks that we've been gone. Um, so this morning we're back to the study in Romans chapter 2 verses 1 through 4, and we're looking at the condemnation of the moral man. We've considered the condemnation of the pagan man and looked at uh, some of the aspects uh, 
that God has given to us uh, for since the creation of the worlds, the invisible things, um, his invisible attributes, his uh, divine, uh, his eternal glory and divine mercies are expressed through his creation and the, the, our hearts uh, are confirmed these things that God has, has done and worked within us. Um, so as we consider the word this morning, we'll look at the condemnation of the moral man. And I want to bring up a principle to you that uh, I think underrides what we would consider this morning in these verses. Um, there's this issue of, of believers trying to be good uh, so I know it's the moral man, but there's some principles here that I think are, are very helpful for us because uh, everyone who loves the Lord um, makes those efforts to, uh, to try to be good. And I found just a wonderful, a wonderful quote that was taken from uh, Charles Stanley um, about this uh, trek in our hearts and lives to be good. We try to be good. And he makes the point of the Holy Spirit and the need and necessity for us to depend on the Holy Spirit and for uh, the truth that Christ taught that we as his people are to acknowledge that he is the vine. He's the root of Jesse. He is the vine and we are the branches. And it's his power, his life source that flows through us by his Holy Spirit under the new covenant. And so our attempts at trying to be good often bring us to serious failure uh, because we look at a situation where we're uh, trying to reform the flesh instead of independence drawing from that vine the life that God and God alone can give to us. So I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm really in a quest to know the power of God, the Spirit of God, uh, and the miraculous work that He can do within me to change and transform this mortal body. It's a significant biblical principle uh, that we want to look at. Here's what uh, Stanley had to say in his, in his uh, Devo that he did a couple of weeks back. Because our natural bent away from godliness, living the Christian life would be impossible without help. When we fail in our vocation or in our relationships, it's because we are not drawing on the inexhaustible well of supernatural power that is within us. The truth became clear to me thanks to a missionary named Berta Smith. Ms. Smith had spent some 40 years in China, and when I met her, she was already in her late 70s. I shared with her something I was struggling with, and I won't ever forget what she said to me in reply. Charles, you are as good as you'll ever be. You're as good as you ever have been, and you won't ever be any better than you are. How discouraging. I wanted to walk away right then. But then she said this, but the Holy Spirit who is living within you, on the inside of you, will enable you, and he will do it in and for and to and through you. Now that's some hope for us, isn't it? Is it not? You can't improve the flesh. And it's, it seems like we as God's people uh, just can't seem to learn that lesson. And we always go back to trying to 
to uh, correct our flesh and trying to reform our flesh when God wants to transform us by the power of his indwelling and living Holy Spirit. So uh, let's look then at the condemnation of the moral man. I want to read in verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and that's all we'll bite off this morning. Therefore you are without excuse, every man who passes judgment, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And do you suppose this, O man, when you are past judgment upon those who practice such things, and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Um, one of the wonderful things that we saw um, was uh, the ascent of, it's what's called the ascent of Z's. It's by uh, this wonderful place um, on the, the Dead Sea uh, up as you're going to En Gedi. And it was the place that, that three nations gathered uh, to uh, against Israel. The Edomites, the Moabites, and the Ammonites were making their trek uh, through the Rift Valley coming up on the other side and their intention was to ascend in disease and wipe out Israel. Uh, King jo Jehoshaphat uh, went to prayer and fasting. It's interesting if you read in, in uh, chapter 20 of Chronicles uh, what, uh, what he did uh, in, in regard to that. Um, but as the nation, it's, it's a cool thing because uh, every once in a while, there's a, a time when a whole a large group of people, like a nation, like the nation of Israel, cry out to God. And as they cry out, and they cry out according to the covenants that God made with Israel, uh, God steps in. He works on their behalf. Um, that's what I pray for our nation, is that we might know that benefit of, of really genuinely repenting as a, a nation, as a church as a group of people, uh, so that we may know uh, his salvation. But the verses here are in 14 and uh, uh, 14 and uh, through 16. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benai, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye all, Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, listen to this, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them, behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and you shall find them in the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jael. And so Jehoshaphat, he organizes his, his troops and he sends out the priest with their instruments. And they, they go singing and playing along. And this terrible tumult takes place among these three nations. And they actually wipe out each other. God just simply took away all the probabilities of what should have happened to Israel. And in a moment's time, uh, turned 
everything to this incredible tragedy for the enemies of Israel. And that's our God. Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. And that's what we need to know. Uh, that's what we need to know in living the Christian life. And that's what we need to, to know and lay hold of, uh, that it's God's battle, that he is able to do what we are not. He is able to reform our flesh. He's able to deliver the nation. He's able to do all things. There's nothing from, that restrains the Lord our God. He is an awesome God. And we should worship him and give praise to our Lord and God. So, to our passage, as we look at um, verse uh, 1 there, Therefore you are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourselves, for you who judge practice the same things. And this is an interesting statement. The judgment of man uh, is disqualified. The moral man is disqualified to be a judge. God is the one who judges. And so there's a number of things that we need to consider in regard to, to this biblical principle. But the most important thing for us to consider is that God did not sit each one of us on a throne to throw up our self-righteousness in place of God's righteousness and our need, uh, the need for all men who fall short of the glory of God to lay hold of his righteousness, which is granted to us, it's imputed to us by faith. So the principle, the overriding principle that we're looking at through these passages is that the just shall live by faith. Now that means not only that we're justified before God for our sins and for the penalty of our sins, but it also means that by the power of God, He transforms us, that He is the one who, uh, who works out that sanctification in our lives and transforms the human life. He transforms the flesh. He does it by the power of His Spirit living and working into us. And that's why you know, we've memorized these passages like uh, He has granted unto us everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's something that God granted. It's not something that we fabricate in our self-righteousness. It's something that God does in and through us. So what that should cause for us to do is, is, is to, to remove us from the seat of judgment over others. Uh, it does not mean that, that we don't make judgment in regard to sin and those things and that our pursuit is not for righteousness, uh, which is the pendulum swinging the other direction. So there's a balance that God is working uh, in and through his people. That is a, a really wonderful thing that he uh, is done and has done. So uh, moral man is disqualified. Why does it come here? And we look at verse 1 in chapter 2, it comes off of this, this terrible uh, judgment that falls on the pagan man in chapter 1. You know, if you look at it, it says, and though they, uh, or, uh, they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. So uh, the, the shape of, of the pagan immoral person is really sad. But then God transitions uh, through his word, the Apostle Paul's teaching here, to the moral man, the one that, that looks on and says, well, I've never done those things. You know, I'm not as bad as them. And they make their comparison 
in righteousness in regard to the righteousness of, of someone that's, that's really down and out, the pagan man. And uh, so he's dealing with that in these verses and considering uh, what he's saying here it is that the, the moral man has uh, been uh, disqualified from being judge. He's been disqualified from setting himself above others. And we often do that. And, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you're probably unaware of how often you do these things and I do these things. Um, but a good example of it is, is taken from, uh, from uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, verses 1 through 7. You'll remember that David had committed adultery and, and had, had Uriah the Hittite murdered. And the Lord sent his prophet Nathan to David and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city and the one was rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children, and it would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom, and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or from his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Um, and then we find in verse 5, that David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. Okay, you see, David didn't catch on uh, to the, I think it's the principle that we're looking at here, uh, that the moral man is uh, putting himself in the place of judgment. And that was David's responsibility, wasn't it? Uh, he was to, to make judgment as a king in the land of Israel over these uh, civil matters. And look at verse 6. He, he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, and here's the mighty powerful words that are spoken in Scripture, you are the man. Uh, cut like a knife. David cut to the quick and that hardness in his heart that had kept him uh, from Fellowship with the Lord God, the Holy Lord God, that that had had uh, had stood between him and this man whose whose heart was after the Lord. He loved the Lord as God, uh, but in these things his fellowship had been broken because David was the man. He had done this and he was unrepentant at the at the time. And so thus says the Lord God of Israel: It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. And it goes on there. It's really a wonderful passage that's worth looking at. But the point that I want to make to you this morning, the point that we need to lay hold of is that that goes back to ourselves. Uh, in every, uh, every uh, sense of the word in which we uh, would point our fingers at others and take the place of God as judge, uh, we find that Power, those powerful words, you are the person, you are the man. Uh, and that's what verse 1 of chapter 2 is saying. Uh, for in that the judgment, you judge another, you condemn yourselves. For you who judge practice the same things. 
So David found in the discovery of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I'm doing the same thing. I've, I've lost sight of my soul, where I'm at on the inside. And by comparison, David, even at this point in time, thought, man, I'm a man after God's own heart. And he had built around him some self-righteousness that simply uh, did not open him up to the understanding uh, of, of what uh, God's holiness is and of the necessity uh, for God's salvation because our flesh is not reformed. It, it is what it is and it stinks. And this man after God's own heart understood that the, the righteous man shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith and the significance of it. And I pray that as we go through our studies in the book of Romans here, that each one of you will lay hold on that principle that the just shall live by faith. It's not just for justification, but there's a, a reality that transcends. And in Colossians it says, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. Well, how do we walk in him? Well, the just walks by faith. It's by God's grace. He's granted unto us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Isn't that awesome? It's been given to you, Christ Jesus. You have been cloaked in the, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's, that's a huge thing, hugely significant uh, to us as God's people. A wonderful thing that if we lay hold of and put aside our self-righteousness and put aside our comparisons of our flesh with others who uh, are more pagan, they come out of the first chapter, uh, then the moral man uh, um, is brought to the repentance that is necessary. For the scripture says that uh, godly repentance is not to be repented of, that God, God hears the broken and contrite heart and spirit. So, <clears throat> moving on in uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, that we find that the, the condemned can't judge others. Does that make sense? Um, the condemned, uh, they're not in the place of judging others. So, uh, when we, hopefully with compassion, take the gospel of Jesus Christ and speak to others that need to hear the gospel... Sometimes we look at them as the deplorables or those that are unapproachable or those that cannot be saved uh, because our view or vision of, of our self, own self-righteousness puts us in some way above that pagan man. And God does not do that. He does not allow us to do those things. We're to look with compassion, redeeming the time for the days are evil. And God saves the brokenhearted. He saves the ones that are at the end. He saves the ones that you don't expect Him to save. It's just the way He does it. He's done it over and over and time again. And when we speak the gospel to a group of people, and this person over here is cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit does that work. God does that work. And they're cut to the heart in conviction of sin. Because the Holy Spirit came to bring sin, uh, 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 to, to bring conviction of sin. Uh, and, and he came to, uh, to teach us righteousness. His Holy Spirit teaches those things. So we all need that sensitivity to God's Holy Spirit, don't we? Uh, otherwise we become, we step across the line to become the moral man. We become the, the one that looks with condemnation uh, on those that are lost that God desires to save. 
And we need not do that. So uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans? These are Galileans, mostly speaking to you, right? Okay. Because they suffered this fate, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Okay? What is Jesus saying that Paul is saying here? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no moral standard of self-righteousness by which we can hide ourselves in or compare from one person to the other in regard to, well, their sins are that bad and my sins aren't that bad, so I'm pleasing in some way to God. Because in our flesh, we cannot be pleasing to God. That's the bottom line. It's what the scripture is teaching. The just shall live by faith. Righteousness comes from God on the basis of His grace through faith. It's such a glorious and freeing principle and truth from God's Word. If we lay hold of it, if we lay hold of this wonderful truth, we will know uh, the fullness of the glory of that eternal life that Jesus Christ has given to you. It can't be hidden behind our self-righteousness. So, and then there's a third point here in, in this passage, the judgment of man, the one who judges does the same things. It's our sinful nature. Now we say, you might say, well, David, well, that, that comparison for David wasn't the same because David's was a lot worse sin. That's what our tendency is to do. But the point is that in the righteousness of God, uh, the ewe lamb and Bathsheba were the same. And, and the comparison is made that, uh, that the judgment is the same. It separates us. Sin causes death and it separates us from God. That's why we want to be serious about sin. We want to be serious about sin in a way that we don't establish our self-righteousness, but that we cling and cleave to the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. It makes us free. It is for freedom that Christ has made you free. It makes you free to look at that person that is created in the image of God and and captivated and captured in sin and in darkness and in death and all the, the, the hardship that sin brings. And, and God uh, will use you. Uh, and He'll use your testimony because the love of Christ will be displayed through you to them. And Christ is looking. His eyes search to and fro throughout the whole earth seeking someone whose heart is perfect toward Him who's willing to look through His eyes and with His compassion for the things that He has compassion about. Uh, so these are things that we need to lay hold of. Luke 3 verses 4 and 5 says this, Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Get it? You're not, you don't have a pass on this word. There's not a pass for us. We fall short of the glory of God and the penalty of our sin is death. 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is a gift. It is something that He gives to you. There is nothing that you can boast in. No righteousness of your own. Nothing that you can do. And so, uh, isn't it true that we automatically, isn't it the way that we are that we automatically think, what did they do? That's the question that we ask. So for some, our, our minds just automatically go there. I'm going to avoid what these guys did so that I don't suffer that same fate. And so we automatically go to, to uh, uh, that withdrawing or, or, or staying away uh, from sin, which we should do. Um, but our idea there is, is to try to find some formula or, or something that we can do in the strength or energy of our flesh to avoid those things, which God wants us to do. He wants us to avoid the, the damages of sin. That's why his word is what it is. Um, but when we look at it, uh, if we're building or establishing uh, our righteousness by works or by our morality or some by some standard of if I do this and if there are these three points that I follow, I'm going to be in the clear from this falling tower that killed the men in Jerusalem. It's not, that's not going to happen. It's not there for us. And uh, God reigns upon the just and the unjust. And there's, we're living in a fallen world and bad things happen. So um, go flee, cleave to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's a gift to you. It's eternal life. It's intimately knowing the God who created you and who was willing to redeem you from your sin and pay the full penalty of that sin on the cross of Calvary where he died. And we have to go back to that because every breath that we take that is spiritual and that is in regard to eternal life must be in regard to that truth and that principle. That my breathing is I confess my sin and I take in by faith God's Holy Spirit. And regardless of my failures and shortcomings, I move forward by the power of God's Spirit, by the grace of God, through faith in Him, knowing that He's going to get me to the end because it's God who gives salvation and not we ourselves. I hope that makes sense. I hope, I hope that we understand that and we leave here this morning on that that quest that it's going to require for us to unlearn the natural things that our body does. The flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And you're going to constantly going back, be going back to reforming your flesh in the power and your own strength. And you'll always fail. You know, It's always a failure. It's filthy to God. But the righteousness which comes through faith in Jesus Christ by God's grace is powerful. And transforming, life-changing. It's a wonderful thing. So let's move on to uh, verse 2 there. Verse 2 says, And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. So we know that the penalty is there. It's, it's described here in the Word in chapter 1. It's described here in chapter 2 for the moral man. The penalty, uh, that judgment is a very real thing. We don't need to dismiss it. Uh, with the idea that God is some type of, of loving grandpa that's a genie in the lamp and we rub him 
a certain way and he does what we want him to do to make our life what we think we want it to be. That's not who God is. It's not a God that uh, has any desire to cater to what we think our needs are and what it means for us to be the Lord of our own lives and to take the throne uh, that is rightfully his. It's a submission to the Lord God. So we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. The judgment of God is that uh, uh, righteous judgment of God. And, and it's the divine consciousness teaches us. That that we looked at in verse 1, it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. Without excuse. The thing is inside of us because God created us in his image. And we know who he is. And we know there's an accountability there. There's a divine consciousness of God that he put in his creation. So if you're trying to convince by uh, academic knowledge or certain uh, things, the unbeliever, your atheist friends, uh, that they're accountable to God, uh, you don't have to. Because the scripture says that God puts something within them that causes them to know that they are guilty. And that's our consciousness. Remember that in the Genesis chapter 3, that it was given to mankind to know good and evil. And so that knowledge of good and evil is condemning. And the Holy Spirit can take that. And all that we need to do as God's people is tell them the truth of the matter. Uh, I used to think that if I could, could give a, a, enough of a convincing argument and explain why I believed what I believed, that they would succumb, that they would submit to my great knowledge. Not true. It's not true. You can't, you can't provide the great argument. I've had atheists that say, well, I appreciate the fact that you thought through and said uh, the things, you hold these things, and they respected me for that. Uh, but, and so there's a place for apologetic uh, speaking and teaching in regard to the word. We need to be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks uh, for a reason that, or the hope that is within us. So God is just. God is just. Not we, not we ourselves, uh, but God is just. It's interesting to me that, that Jesus, you know, like the, the woman at the, uh, the woman caught in adultery, he asked, uh, who, where are those that condemn you? Because he said, let, let the one who's without sin take up the, the first stone. And then Jesus turns and he is the judge. He later tells us in John chapter 5 that, that the Father has given to him all judgment. That there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust and that he will, will stand in judgment over those uh, people. Uh, but here, he, uh, as, as a man, um, as the man Christ Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Looked at her with grace. And, and said, go and sin no more. Uh, that's the grace of God. It's the power of God. And uh, Jesus, it, it didn't change things in regard to the judgment that is coming and the fact that, that every man will stand accountable before their creator for the things done in the flesh. Those things good and bad. And this passage teaches that. But it is God is just and it is according to truth. 
We know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. So, uh, and then we look at the, the next verse there. We find, but do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? So that's where the, the, the real uh, blind spot takes place, the hardness of the heart. As we suppose that we can pass judgment on others and, and miss out on what David missed out on, that he's guilty uh, to his disciples, that those that were, were destroyed in Galilee and the ones destroyed in Ju Jerusalem, uh, that they are guilty as well. But that's the perspective that God wants us to have on sin. Is it not? Uh, so to those who commit, God is just to those who commit these deeds. God will judge. That judgment will come. And because of that, and we find things like Jesus kept entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus didn't feel the need to use his personal power and strength at the cross of Calvary to destroy the Romans, which he could have done. He could have done it. But why did he not do that? Why did he say at, at the Garden of Gethsemane, nevertheless not my will but thine be done? Why does he give us that submission of his will to the Father's will and the Father's plan as an example to us that we know that, that our great commitment needs to be in accordance with the will of God? doing what God would have us to do and, and pulling out all the stops, uh, determining that I will be, uh, I will please one. I'll please my Lord Jesus because I love him and because he's just and because he's merciful and because he's endlessly loving and kind and because he forgave my sins. He went to great ends to take your sins upon the cross of Calvary and die for that penalty that was hanging over you. God took and propitiated justly uh, through Jesus Christ for the sin that was going to crush you and condemn you to an eternity apart from your Creator and apart from all of the good things in life that come from God, our Creator's hands, and, uh, and God in His mercy. He's a wonderful God, and it's a wonderful opportunity that we have to serve Him that we have to love him, that we have to, to tell others about his greatness and his goodness, that we have to honor him, that we have to, to, to be his children and to follow after him, to take up our cross and follow after him, that we may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. You know not about that? You ever prayed for the fellowship of Christ's suffering? Hmm? <laughs> oh, Lord, please send me suffering today. <laughs> but Paul has a, a perspective on things. And he's like, he's like praying that, that he might participate in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. That's, a, that's an amazing thing. It's, it's uncommon. It's, that's against our flesh, isn't it? That's why the scripture tells us that we must put the flesh to death. That the Spirit, the life of God must be manifest in us. The life of Jesus Christ is manifest in you when you take up and when you make that decision that I'm going I'm to participate in the fellowship of Christ's suffering.
And that's, that's an honor. Uh, you know, the, the disciples, many of them went to their deaths and martyred them for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. And they were glad to do it. They were glad to do it. And God held them. He kept them there. And He enabled them. And He did through them what they could not do for themselves. Isn't that awesome? That's an amazing thing. That's our God. He's a wonderful God. And, and there's more than this. There's more than this life. This is, this is a fallen world with many, many things that are wrong in it. Uh, and they're not correctable by mankind. We've learned that over the ages. Mankind, different forms of government, uh, different churches, religious organizations, uh, all have tried to, to, to bring mankind to the unity and, and to that higher platform of, 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 of deep divineness. Uh, and we can't get there. We'll never get there. But God will do in and through His people what God alone can do. But do you suppose this, O men, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? There's the knowledge of good and evil in us that condemns us. We know. We know the Lord and our God, and it condemns us. We judge what they are doing is wrong. But we need to judge what we are doing as well. And the, the nature of our flesh, that, that I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and my flesh still won't want to serve God. It's not going to want to do it. Uh, I'll wake up tomorrow morning and know that I could, should spend time in the Scripture and my flesh is going to fight me because the flesh wars against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh and I can't do anything about it. I can't make that flesh uh, simply by uh, by gritting my teeth and, and taking 30 minutes to, to read and open God's Word and have a life-giving uh, source of life that comes from His Word. It's by God's grace through faith as we trust in Him and look to Him and depend upon Him. We understand that, that God must work His salvation, that His Spirit must breathe into us the life that God has given to us because it's eternal life. It's the real deal. It's wonderful. It is marvelous. And if we could just get a glimpse of it and lay hold of it, we'd never look back. Never look back because it's glorious what God has done through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now point two here, knowledge of good and evil in us condemns us because we do uh, the same things. And that point has been made. Um, we do the same things. Uh, so John 8, verses 7, but when they perished persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. This is the adulterous woman, isn't it? There she was. And every one of them were there and they were saying, Boy, look at how disgusting this person is because of their sin. And Jesus is going to, he's really strapped here. What's he going to do with this uh, grossly sinful person? And Jesus said, nevertheless, uh, I don't condemn you either, um, but go and sin no more. Our Lord Jesus in His great mercy looks upon the sinner a different way than we do. But we need to learn to look at those uh, that are, are not up to our standard of righteousness, to those that we think and suspect uh, may not be right for the gospel because they're so bad and we're not. That's the way we are, isn't it? Okay. 
So uh, another point here, uh, we reason falsely that we escape judgment. So here's the old fellow with the, with the, <laughs> the stuck in the eye, isn't it? <laughs> and, and boy, look at his expression. That's some judgment going on there, isn't he? Okay, uh, but that's us. Unfortunately, you know, that's, uh, that's the way we couch our thinking uh, as we approach others with the gospel sometimes. Okay, and then the, the judgment of God, uh, let's, see, uh, let's see, verses 4. Or do you think, uh, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? It's God in his mercy who is just and righteous and who has actually has the right to squash us and uh, and to deliver us to a separated eternity from our God and Creator, that in His great mercy, uh, He in His kindness and the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience. Do you think of your God that way? I just want to ask you a, a real personal question in regard to your relationship with the Lord this morning. Do you know that he looks at you with this uh, kindness and forbearance and patience? Uh, we do not despise. We do not despise his. Okay. Glory there. We do not despise his kindness. That he looks at you in mercy. Uh, that he sees you, all of you, for what you are, and you're accepted in the brethren because of what he did on the cross of Calvary for you. It's the greatest and most incredible expression of God's loving kindness. His kindness. He, I don't know what some of you may be dealing with as far as sins in your past or things that you've done that, that on a daily basis that you wish you could go back and, and erase from your history, which you cannot do. Uh, but God looks at you in his kindness and he knew everything. He knew everything about David. When, when he uh, gave to David the Davidic covenant, he knew the flaws in his life. He knew what David was going to do in the future. There's nothing that God did not know about David. But he loved him. And God, through his mercy, brought redemption and brought salvation. For the just shall live by faith. It's awesome. We want to meditate on that this week, right? He, he does not despise his kindness. And then uh, God is slow to judge. There's forbearance. Uh, and he does not despise. And finally, there are the, the three things. His patience. Uh, uh, not knowing that the, uh, the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience. Did you know that God is patient with you? And that in his kindness... He doesn't always reveal the things that need to be corrected in your life because you can't handle it. And so he, in his mercy, reveals a little bit at a time. You're like, he's like the potter and you're the clay in his hands and he's molding you and making you and shaping you. Not tempting that above that you are able, but will with the temptation, providing a way of escape and making a way for his, his people in his kindness and forbearance. And patience. That's our God. And what does it say? Should lead you to repentance. What does repentance mean? 
Because there's a lot of misunderstanding about repentance. The judgment of God should lead you to repentance. There's a day of accountability. And repentance means that we turn away from, from who we are and what we are and what God's Word says that we are to the mercies of God, to the provision that God has made, to the righteousness that God has given in His Son. And we lay hold of it. We cleave to it. We, 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 we impress it upon ourselves by faith. What Jesus did. It's an awesome and wonderful thing that God in His mercy has done. I want to make a couple of points. First is Isaiah 66.2. When my hand made all of these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one, I look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Do you tremble at God's word? Do you tremble at where I am in my flesh and the, 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 the gravity of where that separation that has taken place between a holy God and my self-righteous standard of who I am and, and what I am is, is at and with humble and contrite spirit tremble at God's word and cry out for God's salvation. Maybe some of you today are, are, are fighting with some area in your flesh <coughs> that has been a, had a long-term grip on your life and you can't break it. You've tried and you can't break it. But did you know the power that Jesus Christ has given in the cross of Calvary? That, that, that when we know His salvation, when we see His hand and His power, that same power that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead, that, rec uh, that resurrected Him from the grave and, and has given to us eternal life and salvation and all things that pertain to life and godliness, and He's granted unto us great and precious promises whereby we might be made partakers of His divine nature. That's His promise. That's His word to you. God is able to deliver you. He's able to break our sin patterns. And sometimes those can be generational through generations in our family. Uh, you know, those, those patterns of, of our sin nature are there. And God is able through Jesus Christ our Lord to do what you cannot do in the strength and the energy of the flesh. He's able to deliver you. Look to Him in faith. The scripture says later on in chapter 4, uh, it's, uh, Paul quotes from David, um, but uh, blessed is the man uh, unto whom the Lord will not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. So what is David saying? Maybe we can relate it in, in light of, of uh, Bathsheba and what he did. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man to whom God will not impute iniquity so God could judge, but He did judge on the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ, for David's sin. So Old Testament, New Testament, you still have the just shall live by faith, don't you? It, it's, it's both. It's all the same. God has never uh, found uh, one righteous man other than our Lord Jesus Christ who took upon Himself flesh and came and dwelt among us uh, that was able to fulfill the law, that was able to fulfill the righteous standard that God required. And so... Our Lord Jesus will be seated upon the throne. He will reign. I'll take you to, to the, the passage uh, from Zechariah. I've already given it to you. Uh, but uh, notice what he says here uh, in the, the um, underlined 
script there. Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of the great, this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. For tomorrow you go down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and you shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Well, it's really interesting to see the ascent of Ziz there by the, the brook of Engedi, by the spring of Engedi. Uh, but God says, tomorrow you shall go down against them. Be not afraid. Be not dismayed. And I would like to suggest that there's a, there's a, a principle that by application that we can make with Christ's salvation that we, we don't have to be afraid any longer. That our Lord Jesus, by reason of His power, the battle belongs to the Lord. There's no restraint with God to save by many or by few. He's able to deliver from our enemies and He is able to deliver from that area of sin in your life that has constrained you and caused damage and problem to you all of your life. By the power of God, by the indwelling, working of God's Holy Spirit in your life, God will do what only God can do. So Jesus said, as he's speaking about divine and you are the branches, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. you believe that? you believe that God is able to deliver you? God is able to take our brokenness and make us well. God is able to give to us that eternal life that is promised through Jesus Christ. I want to leave you with one passage of Scripture here. Actually, I have two. But this is the Song of Sense in Psalm 130. Out of the depths have I cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. This is a man that is praying that is broken in a contrite spirit. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities. Look at this. O Lord, who could stand? Think about that. No one could stand. No one. Who could stand? But there's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. You think, you see, the moral man would say what? He would say, there's forgiveness with you because you're just. Right? But he doesn't say that. He says, there's forgiveness with you um, uh, that you may be feared. Okay? So it's different. It's a different slant on how we look at things. But it's hugely significant. Hugely significant as God's people. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in His Word do I hope. Are you there? Do you wait for God's Word? Do you search His Word like it's life? That these are the words of life. Feed me, God, upon that truth from Your Word which transforms my life and, and does what only You can do. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. Here's a person that loves God's Word and sees the power and significance in God's Word that if we order our steps in accordance with by His Spirit in His Word and in His will that there's life. O Israel, hope in the Lord for with the Lord there's loving kindness and with Him is abundant redemption and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Notice... 2 Timothy 2, verses 19. I wanted to deal a little bit more with this, but I wanted to make the point. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. Uh, this seal, the Lord knows them that are His, and let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, if you've got from my sermon that God is, a, is kind of an a old grandpappy type thing that, that, that ignores sin, then you've you got the wrong message. 
God's power, His salvation in Christ Jesus is, is given that we may depart from iniquity, that He may accomplish in and through us what He intended to do when He made and created man in His own image. Uh, it's to, to renew that image in Christ Jesus that was intended. You're called to live a higher life, a nobler life, a beautiful life, that because you are His workmanship, you're like a trophy of God's grace, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God before ordained in you. He's planned. He's planned everything meticulously to, to, to make you a beautiful trophy of the grace of God. Depart from iniquity. Turn your heart to the love of Jesus Christ, to the power of Jesus Christ, and know deliverance, redemption from sin and deliverance from that sin, that the power of sin may have no power over your life. God has called you to something higher and nobler and better. So much better. And we can only know the fullness of what God has done in and through His people when we embrace God's will for our lives. It's found in His Word. It's His Word that transforms us. It's His Word that makes us different. It's intended. They're great and precious promises whereby we're made partakers of the divine nature. So let's set ourselves on a course this year that we may know the fullness of that eternal life that Jesus Christ has given us. I have one more passage here for you. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of gentleness. Notice that it says those that are in the spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourselves so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. You see the, the, the nature of what Paul's saying here about the Lord Jesus, about salvation, about uh, about how we're to treat one another and how we're to deal with sin. So in this church, we've had to exercise some areas of church discipline at times, and it's necessary, but we need to do it with a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to ourselves, lest we too also fall into that self-righteousness that we're looking at in these verses. Father in heaven, thank you for your wonderful, the wonderful grace of Jesus. Thank you for your love, O oh Lord. For it reaches unto the heavens, and your faithfulness stretches to the sky. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice flows like the ocean tides. Lift my voice. We lift our voices, Lord, to worship you this morning. And we find our strength in the shadow of your wings. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.